I'm turning this morning to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, we're going to uh, go ahead and continue with our series in the book of Proverbs. We concluded the 21st Proverbs, 21st Proverb last Sunday morning. So we're going to begin and jump right into Proverbs 22. And our text this morning will be the first two verses of Proverbs 22. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Our subject this morning is the Lord is maker of them all. The Lord is the maker. Solomon here writes, and he writes about a good name. He references a good name to be chosen over great riches. The real worth of a man, the real worth of a woman, is not found in the possessions that they own or what they hope to acquire, but the real worth of a man is found in the name that they have, the name they possess. Certainly in a day and age in which we live when reputation seemingly seems to be unimportant and uh, flying out the door faster than the door can open, we find out that many are no longer concerned about their reputation. They're not concerned about their name. But for every child of God, you ought to be concerned about your reputation and you ought to be concerned about your name. Children, you ought to be careful that you are giving a good name to your parents. The name that you share with your parents, the last name that you share, you are representing them. So it's important that we have a good name, a good reputation. Uh, riches may provide temporary enjoyment. Uh, riches may purchase things, but riches and money can never purchase a good name. What we do know is that the Apostle John in 3 John 12 does give us a bit of a report about a man who had a good name. His man was, this man's name was Demetrius. It says about Demetrius that Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. John was given, giving a commendation of Demetrius. Not the name Demetrius, as far as is it a good name, but the reputation of Demetrius. It's an interesting thing that everybody's name has a meaning. Uh, now, depending on which resource you consult, it might have a different meaning, but everyone's name means something. Your first name means something. It has a, a definition to it. Our last names often are names that, of course, they are passed on from generations to generations, and we don't even know some of the ancestors that we have who bear the same name. This is not so much about your name and what it means, and what your family tree says. It's your own personal reputation. It is a commendation, notice that John gave to Demetrius, that gives us a reason to trust him. Trust is also quickly fleeting away. Names and reputations are suddenly becoming tarnished, they're becoming slandered, uh, they seemingly don't mean anything anymore, and trust, who can find it? But Demetrius, that name, if you know your Bible, when you hear the name Demetrius, you think, good name, good reputation, a name I can trust. 
Now, his name is an old name. The Scriptures identify him, and we read about him today, but his name has gone down through the generations as a name to be commended. But it also says about Demetrius in 3 John verses 11 and 12, he that doeth good is of God. Demetrius hath good report of all men. Now the problem is, is our name sometimes can be slandered without us knowing or without us being guilty of being worthy of being slandered. It's impossible for us to know today how many believers throughout all the generations have lived honest, good lives. They've tried to live a life of a good reputation only to have their reputation soiled by someone else to ruin their reputation. Sometimes that is the desire of the evil one is to ruin your reputation. And only God knows truly, do you have a good name? God truly knows if your name is good. God truly knows if you do with good. Demetrius was not just a name that was commended, but it says he doeth good. And it says he that does good is of God. Now, oftentimes, and sometimes sadly, you might find yourself in a place where you have to clear your name. Someone has falsely accused you. Someone has unduly slandered you. And you might find yourself saying, I've got to do something to remove this false slander from my name. But friends, take heart this morning in knowing this, that uh, some of those things you have to leave to God. You have to leave them to God because God knows the heart. God knows who you are. There are many a man whose reputation has been ruined by the testimony of a false witness. We are seated at an unprecedented level. I might say that, and maybe I'm being exaggerate. I'm exaggerating today, but we seem to hear more about one person saying about another person, they did this, and everybody believes the lie without ever going to the person to see, is this true? That's how quickly your name can be slandered. Children and young people, even in schools, their names, they're being falsely accused and they're, they're being told and people are saying such and so-and-so did this. You see, it's very easy to falsely slander a person's name. Riches can't buy a good name, but a good name is to be preferred above riches. Again, Solomon is not writing here that riches ruin your name. Uh, to be rich does not mean that you are not doing God's will. Now, there's an interesting play on words that's happening in these two verses. He talks about a good name, and he talks about a good name being preferred over riches. He talks about having favor, loving favor, or the favor of God more than silver and gold. But then he gives a real-life example of the rich and poor. And notice the little word that connects it. He says, the rich and poor meet together. You realize this morning, we'll expand on this more in just a moment, you realize the rich and poor temporally are exactly the same in the sight of God. Whether you are super wealthy or super poor, we all stand the same before God. Riches do not give you a greater standing, nor being poor does that give you less of a standing, or vice versa. But the name is to be preferred over riches. Again, this is not a lesson against having riches. 
But you'll notice in verse 1, again, he says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Now, depending upon the, the, the uh, translation you have, the word good might be italicized. Now, in mine, it's not only italicized, it's in all caps. The word good in the original autographs, the original, the word good wasn't even there. The translators have added that in order to give us a greater understanding. So the way that it read in the originals is a name rather to be chosen than great riches. Good is added to kind of give it, to clarify it. So if you have to choose between a good reputation, a good name, or great wealth, always choose a good reputation. Always. Always. If you have a choice, I can have great riches, but my name will be tarnished. You always take the good name. The word good, not in the original text, but is supplied here rightly. For it is not just any name. It's a good name. It's a good name among people. But primarily, it's a name, a good name among people of God. A good name among good men is meant here, a, name in, a good name in the house of God, which is better than a bad name. We hear the Bible tell us that when we're saved, we receive a new name. We become a new creature. We become a new creation. We are now called the children of God. Those who have received that gift of salvation know that there is a new name. That new name is to be preferred over the multitude of riches. Riches are temporary and not to be made a priority over a good name. True riches can be also can be good men. We have sometimes equated that if you have riches, then you must have gotten it by a dishonest means. Sadly, that does infiltrate the church. It's infiltrated that Christians who have money or have some level of wealth must have done something wrong to acquire that or they should not have that. He's not saying you shouldn't have it. He's saying do not prefer that over a good name. Do not sacrifice your name for riches. Now, that's very applicable in everyday life. If you were offered a tremendous opportunity, but it would ruin your reputation, but you would have riches untold, but it would ruin your reputation, never, ever, ever take that. Ever take that. You say, but the riches would make my life so much easier. Not with a ruined name. You see, very practical. This, these riches, these true riches, are not to be preferred over a good name. In Proverbs 10.7, it says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall not. The name of the wicked is not blessed, but the name, or the memory rather, of the just. It's a blessed name. You could go down through history and... We won't do it here this morning, but you can probably think of people in history who maybe have been long gone, who you say they had a good name, they had a good reputation. But on the, same, the other side of the same coin, you can say, here's a name. That's a wicked name. That's a name that was wicked then, it's wicked now, and it'll be wicked for all of eternity. 
Because they're known by what they did. Ecclesiastes 7, 1, if you want to go ahead and turn that, I'll read it to you while you're turning. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It's always been a mysterious saying to people because they look at that and they hear, how can, how can death, how can the day of your death be better than the day of your birth? But you notice it says a good name is better. A good reputation. Now I'm going to read to you right out of the notes of the Bible. Some of you actually use this same. It's the Reformation Heritage Bible. And I like, the, I like the, the description here. It says the apparently pessimistic statement must be understood in the context of one's reputation. Since a reputation is earned and subject to change throughout life, only death secures it by removing any further possibility of tarnishing it. In other words, it's death, it brings then the ending to tarnishing or making your name bad. That's the concept here. A good name to be protected. But then back in our text, he not only says a good name rather to be chosen in great riches, he also makes mention of loving favor rather than silver and gold. What is loving favor? Well, loving favor here is to have favor with God. Favor with God and man. Reconciliation. We know that God's favor, God's grace is better than life itself. All the enjoyments that you have by having God's favor in your life far surpass anything that the riches of this world will bring to you. Some render it in other translations as loving grace. God's favor is grace. If you're saved today, you're saved by God's loving grace. His favor has been bestowed upon you. But we are to choose loving favor rather than silver and gold. The grace of God that we have through Jesus Christ, the very grace of Christ that we have, and all that that means is to be preferred over silver and gold. If a man or a woman would give all of they owned or all that they had, they would never be able to buy God's loving favor and His grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's given to you. Just as our names are given to us by our parents, God gives us His grace. I remember years ago, wasn't one of the things my father used to drive home to us all the time, and he didn't say it because he was worried about his own reputation per se, but he would always remind us. He would tell us who we were. Not because we didn't know, but that to understand that everything you do, you are sending a message about who you are, what you believe, what you stand upon. We tell our kids that when we send them off to school or send them off to play with friends, but how many adults do we go into this world and consider and think about, who am I? Who am I really? What do people think about me? When they hear your name, what do they say? Or what do they Maybe in wicked laughter, maybe they even laugh about. You see, the God's 
grace and God's favor and this Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can't purchase that with money. All the silver and the gold cannot purchase what you have in Christ Jesus. It can't be bought. So a good name, God's loving favor, or God's grace should be chosen. And then verse 2, the rich and poor meet together. Now oftentimes, and we see this, and we are seeing this in our society today, and again, I'm, this is not, you can't paint everything with the same brush and say everything is this way. But there appears to be this hatred between the two classes. The poor hate the rich because it's unfair that they're rich, and the rich hate the poor, but yet before God, they stand equal. They both meet together at the same bar of God's justice, of God's mercy, of God's grace. A lot of times this meeting together is a hostile meeting. It's a meeting that is sometimes they rush upon each other, angry at each other. <laughs> you don't, you, you'd have to not be paying attention to see, even in our country, you see a 100 class warfare going on that's not based always on race, but it's also based on class. See, it's a bigger picture that's happening. It's not just one segment. But the rich and the poor meet together, and if we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God as we've read in the psalm and we've even sung in our hymns this morning, even though we see the rich despising the poor, we see the poor envying the rich, Yet, even though they can't speak well of one another, do you know that the rich are dependent upon the poor and the poor are dependent upon the rich? That's wisdom. It's foolish for a rich person to say, I have no need of the poor. It's also foolish for a poor person to say, I have no need of the rich. I mean, think about the argument. The very poor people say, all the rich should be stripped of all of their wealth. Do you realize what that would mean? You obviously don't, or you wouldn't ask for that. Just as foolish it would be for the rich person to say, I wish this earth was just completely, all the poor people were removed. You realize what would happen to the riches of the rich man? His riches would even dry up. They need one another. Even in the same concept, of course, with the, in the church, the Apostle Paul would write about being dependent upon another, the members of the body. One can't say to the other, I do not have need of you. Even in this, the natural body, one cannot say to the other, the rich cannot say to the poor, I don't need you, and the poor can't say to the rich, I don't need you. The rich stand in need of the poor, the poor stands in need of the rich, some of the very, some of the, the very employments, okay, again, I sometimes don't think we think things all the way through. You may not be well compensated for what you do, but that employer is giving you a job. And they are paying you. You are taking that money and you are supporting your family with that. And to harbor hatred towards the rich because they have money, be thankful that God has given you the way to take care of your family. You see, God has ordained the rich and the poor. 
And it, it is not meant to be a place where we are in total angry, anger at each other because somebody has more than we have. Just like the poor are in need of riches, or jobs rather, not the riches, but in need of the, the employment that comes by those who are able to provide income for them. But you realize this, sometimes the rich become the poor. Sometimes the poor become the rich. Some people don't stay rich all their life. Some people don't stay poor all their life. Sometimes the role completely reverses. Somebody was telling me recently about the number of people who even today who are very poor, who are not poor because they're lazy. They're not poor because they didn't want to work. They're poor because something came into their life and took everything they had. And now because the system is the way it is, they can't get back on their feet. How often are we sadly, and I hope this isn't the case for us, do we drive through somewhere and we see people that are homeless and we immediately think, well, look what they've done to themselves. Or we say something very just stinging, that's what drugs and alcohol do to you. That's not the case in every circumstance. There are, there are people who are living in boxes under underpasses who are not there because they were lazy and refused to work. Something happened in their life. Be careful about categorizing everything you see as, oh, here's what this person must have done. Just like we do with people who have money. Oh, they must have done that. They must have done that illegally. They couldn't have possibly earned all that. See, there's a, there's a hatred. And this, this can even happen in churches where people can be gathered in the same church, be members of the same body, and there can be envy towards someone else and say, well, this person has more money. Why do they have and why do I have less? God ordains it all. Now, we may not like God's ordain. He may not like his ordination. You say, I want God to give me the other side of this coin. I don't want the coin he's given me. But the conditions can change, but they meet together. And primarily here is not so much temporal that he's talking about, although there's application there. Because anywhere in the world you go, you're going to have rich and you're going to have poor. But you're also going to find godly rich people and godly poor people who meet in the very same place to worship the same God, who before the throne of God are on equal footing, no matter what you think. The godly rich, and I use godly rich, who say, well, God gives me greater favor because I give more to the church. Shame on you. Shame on you. You stand equal before God. That widow who tossed in the mites, Jesus said that woman has given more. And again, it's not even so much about what you give, it's about the attitude of the heart. But we all meet in the middle. Imagine meeting under the same gospel, being saved by the same grace, having the same favor of God, and then to have the, the, the shameful thing of looking at each other with some kind of spite because of the situation that you're in. We observe the Lord's Supper after our 1130 service today. It's not just for the rich and it's not just for the poor. 
we all come to the table together to worship the same God. God is not a respecter of persons. But on the same token, just like the godly rich and poor gather together, the, the, wicked, the wicked rich and the wicked poor also gather together. What is their goal? Their goal is to create sin, to do evil. They meet together. They plot, they plan. But the wicked rich and the wicked poor are also going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And they're going to have to give an account for their life. And sadly, without being converted, without trusting Christ as their Savior, they will spend an eternity in hell. Hell is filled with rich people and poor people. The wealthiest of wealthy are in hell today. And so are the poorest of poor. Sometimes we make the false assumption that because someone's poor, God's going to give them more, and I'm using this term, He's going to give them more grace or more patience because they were poor. They stand equally. You cannot use your poorness as a reason why you refuse God. You can't use your rich, your riches as a reason as to why you refuse God. You stand equal at the judgment. Same with the godly rich and the godly poor. There is no, here's where the godly rich go and here's where the godly poor go. We all meet together. Brethren, brethren we've met to worship. Not rich people worship, poor people worship. Brethren takes no distinction between those classes whatsoever. God doesn't even see it. Only humans see it. Only humans see the distinction. Same goes with color of skin, by the way. God doesn't see it that way. These are brethren. They all are meeting together and they all stand on equal footing before God. Uh, look with me at Proverbs 14, Proverbs 14.31. Of course, these are studies we did. Um, I went back and looked. I mean, some of these, we may have looked at this almost two years ago when we were originally in this series. But Proverbs 14.31, notice what it says. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. Now, do you see the word maker? That's the same word as in our text this morning. The Lord is the maker of them all. To oppress the poor is to reproach God. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. That's very clear what's being said here. To reproach God is to literally question what God has made, what God has done. It's to question his sovereignty. And then Proverbs 17.5. Notice again the word maker. Whoso mocketh the poor, reproacheth his maker, and he, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. Again, it's to hold God guilty of doing something wrong. You realize that even in this country, 
no matter where you fall, from a temporal standpoint, you are extremely wealthy. Go into some of these places where we're sending missionaries to. One of the sad realities is, is we automatically assume poor places need missionaries. So do the rich places. So does this country. This country needs missionaries badly because we are relying upon our riches, thinking that those riches are giving us some kind of security. Everyone in this room, I don't have to see your bank account. You're wealthier. You're one of the 1% in the world. When you take all the world and all of its occupants and what some people do not have, we are all wealthy. And again, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have wealth and riches untold. Because you're not taking any of these earthly riches with you anyway. You're not taking a dime. But think about how all these thoughts are tied together. How a good name can be ruined by a love for riches. How a good name can be tarnished by reproaching and mocking the poor. All these thoughts go together. Back again, he says the Lord is the maker of them all. What does it mean to be a maker? He, he is the creator. He has created all things. His sovereign hand has placed and given all that we see. Now to be the maker of them all doesn't just mean he made them as men and women, but he made them rich or poor. God gives riches to whom he pleases and he gives poverty to whom he pleases. Now think about this, we're, we're all quick to say, I believe God can sovereignly give salvation to whoever he chooses, but do we not think God is sovereign and given riches and poor? If he's sovereign, he's either sovereign in all or he isn't sovereign at all. So I don't like that. Because there's a part of our humanity that pushes back against God's sovereignty. We like to say, I would rather choose which route I get to go. Riches and poverty are according to the divine order of God's providence. God can and does change the scene at His pleasure. You ever notice God does not ask permission what state, state of being you want to be in? He doesn't give you a line to go through and say, you choose what you want for your life. People often say, I want to know God's will for my life. God's will for your life is to obey His Word. It's not difficult. Well, I want to know where I'm supposed to be. I want to know where God's going to send me. We have to learn how to obey God and just obey His Word if you're ever going to know and delight in His will for you. Some of you here today understand what I'm saying with that. You understand that this is not about me getting my way, but rather the rich should consider themselves just as dependent upon God as the poor person is. That's why Jesus himself talked about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He's not saying it's impossible, but his point is as a rich man has a tendency to depend upon those riches. 
And that is true. But yet, the rich and the poor alike are just as dependent upon God because they stand in equal footing before God. A rich man can't say, I don't have any need of God. Rich men have done it. Rich women have done it. Think about the writer of the book of Proverbs. Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man in the world and also the richest man in the world, doesn't mean that he did everything right. Some of his choices of wisdom say he was lacking in wisdom. But yet, we see that we are, we are dependent upon what God has ordained. In the book of Job, which could certainly be an illustration of a man who seemingly had and lost and regained. In Job 34, verse 19, I really just want to look at the last the question that's asked. He says, How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor? For they all are the work of his hands. They're all the work of his hands. He's the maker of them all. That we are all made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, first chapter of the first book of the Bible says, man is made in the image of God. That should give us hearts that are kind and forgiving towards our fellow man, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. Every single person, unless the Lord returns, rich or poor, are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A dime has never kept a rich man from dying. Not one time has it stopped it. You know, it's interesting. I heard, I heard a, a medical doctor say the other day, and I found it so interesting. And I, I was, it, it, maybe this won't be as profound to you as it was, but he said, we can't explain, we can't explain humanly or medically why people die. Now, we'll give symptomatic of what happens to the body, but Why? Well, you know what the answer is, right? Scripturally, it's because of sin. The medical profession can't figure that out. They can't figure it out. Why does it die? It dies because of sin. <laughs> the, 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 the largest, most intellectual, smartest people who've ever lived can't figure out why does man die and they can't stop it. The rich man can spend all of his riches and he can't stop death from coming. Why? Because he can't stop sin. That's why we don't, we don't sorrow with people, like people who have no hope. We know death is coming, but we know death is coming. But if we're in Christ Jesus, we know the inheritance that awaits us. So we don't sorrow like we have no hope. Among the children of men, God's providence has ordered it. There are some who are rich, some who are poor. They live in every society in the world. The Lord is the maker of both of them. He's the author of their being. He's the disposer of their lot. Whatever they receive, they receive at His hands. He's the maker of all things. The greatest man in the world who's ever lived must acknowledge God to be His maker. Whether he does it or not, one day he will acknowledge 
God was his maker. Malachi 2.10 asks the question, do they not all have the same father? Do they not all have the same? Are they not all created? He makes some rich. He makes some poor. Sometimes he gives us uh, times of want to test our patience, to test your contentment. Some of you here today know what it is to be on both sides of that coin. You know what it is to have next to nothing, temporally speaking. You've seen what Paul talked about. I've learned how to abound, and I've learned how to be abased. I've learned to be with, and I've learned to be without. And I will tell you, some of the greatest lessons you ever receive spiritually are in your seasons of want temporally. When you're wanting temporally, God often is doing some of his greatest work, even though it's painful. I love what Paul wrote about the church of, that was giving of themselves. They were giving out of their deep poverty. They realized that all that they had was from God. Rich and poor meet together at the bar of God's justice. Every man, woman, boy, girl, when they are born, they are standing guilty before God. Shapen in iniquity, the, the David himself said. Conceived in sin, original sin, goes all the way back to Adam, that all have come short of the glory of God. And if it was not for God's loving favor and God's loving grace coming to where you are, you would sit here today condemned in your sin, doomed to a place called hell for all of eternity. And what does Ephesians say? But God. But God who is rich, in mercy. Praise God. He, just, he has sent and gave His mercy to you. There's the same Christ. The same Scriptures. The same Holy Spirit. The same covenant for the rich and the poor. There's the same heaven. The same glory for the rich as there is for the poor. And sadly, there's the same eternal hell for the rich and the poor. All stand at the same level before God. The grave is certainly the great equalizer. I've stood at both. I've been asked to stand at the graveside of people who were haters of God. And I cannot I cannot at that moment give them any hope for that loved one. I can't say if they were a good person. They went to their death hating their maker. But I've also stood at the graveside of believers. And I've not only been able to speak of the promises that they had, and I've spoken at rich people, I've spoken at poor people, and it's the same hope. The exact same hope. I don't say, boy, that rich person, now they're really going to see heaven and they're going to have a special place. No. God's the maker of them all. It's His providential hand. All these thought, thoughts tie together. A good name. Prefer it above great riches. Remember, the Lord is the maker of us all. 
We ought to praise Him. Whatever state, whatever condition He's put us in, we know it's come from the hand of a sovereign, providential God. And that nothing takes place outside of His control. That's why we can rest our head every night that God is sovereign. Let's pray together.